Coucou chérie, comment vas-tu? You found your home worth having podcast. Today's guest is Quaylen, who is a life coach specializing in desire, sex, and intimacy. And the topic we're talking about is longing. All the things we dream of having, fantasize about, and all I want to say is be warned. This is a conversation between two adults, and we're talking freely. Nothing too outrageous. Don't worry. This remains a very descendant but adult conversation. And we're naming body parts. And if you have little ones around, we're naming the body parts by their name. And if you don't want them to ask questions, most of all, not asking questions in public situations, then you might want to plug in your headphones because there is no beeping out here. There is no talking around. And yeah. Enjoy this episode because I promise you it's gonna help you rediscover and see the things you long for and especially how you long for from a different point of view. <laughs> Enjoy! What does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much you would cry if you ever had to give it up? Bienvenue mon ami, I am Nick. I'm your resident interior designer, a serial expert living currently in my sixth country, and your humble hosts on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate la joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy off and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong to. And this is season three. And this time around, I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change because we are post-COVID-19. And it's safe to say life has changed for all of us. And the question is, how have you lived through this massive phase of change? Let's talk about how we can make change work for us. I'll be examining it from all different angles because it's quite complex, n'est-ce pas? And as every season, I'll be inviting some kick-ass guests from all walks of life with all sorts of professional expertise and personal wisdom to tickle the best out of this topic. Welcome to the Homework Having Podcast. I'm here with Queen and today, and we're having a topic that I've been wanting to talk to for a while, and I quite frankly didn't know who to talk to, like who would be a good mm, sparring partner. And then I saw a post by Queen Anne, and we're going to talk about longing. And first of all, welcome Queen Anne to the Homework Having Podcast. Thank you. I just want to adjust you a little bit. So my name is Quilan. Quilan. Yeah, it's Quee. very freaking. Oh, yeah, call me Quee. Everybody calls Quee. me Quee. I'm so excited to be here, Nick, and thank you so much for having me, especially on such a hot topic like longing. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's fun. Like, I already like the energy. Like, you call it hot, and it's fun. And when I think of longing, I get really frustrated. It's like this... Oh, right. I have this annoyance bubbling up in me whenever I think of longing. So I'm really happy that you are my partner to talk about this because maybe you can help me shift. 
Yeah, and I want to also say I get frustrated too. I think you can have both experiences with longing. Um, it's like, I suppose like to dive in a bit, say with longing, it's like this desire, this experience that we have, that we want, that's outside of us. And when we focus on the locus of our desire, so it could be a person or when I was writing the post for me, it's like expansion and growth in my business. Um, like when I when I feel into that and I drop into it in my body, I feel this tingling, this like throbbing, this um, like my heart flutters, my body feels alive and electric. Um, so when I when I drop into it from a bodily level, there's so much pleasure to be had in the experience of longing. But when I'm coming at it from my brain, where it's like, Quillen, you should be already big already. Why aren't you a bigger brand, more successful coach? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, when I'm coming from my brain like, and I feel into that energy, I get really frustrated, angry at myself. And pissed off and then the like experience of longing like that energy in my body is frustrating and I feel angry at it and annoyed that I have to experience it yeah I think it's such a good topic because it's exactly that it's this huge difference on how you approach it for me just to say it right up front for me longing is avoiding reality I go into longing when I'm avoiding something. So I'm clearly in a fear mode. And what pisses me off the most about this is that when I go into longing, I don't realize that I'm in fear mode. I'm just in the comfort of longing and letting this, let's call it another word, like a fantasy, right? I'm letting this fantasy play out. And so much time goes by and then when I realize okay this fantasy is played out the movie's over I'm still where I used to be before and I still haven't done and time is going by and then definitely the brain shaming goes on and then also the the frustration you know that whilst you're in longing like everything was so cozy, it was so nice. It's like you had the right amount of thrill, the right amount of heart beating, the right amount of tingling, and yet you're still there. And ah, oh, I don't know, like I'm always movement uh, <laughs> and progress and seeing things advance just in, in general. That moment that I'm coming out of longing is just as harsh as the the moment in longing was nice. Oh, I love that, that you can feel that. You know, a lot of people aren't even cognizant of that switch. So that's just really powerful that you can tell. And I suppose what I would say is it's so hard, like say in society, like the way things are structured is very much we need to be productive and expand and in growth mode and in do mode. And, um, and really there's very little emphasis uh, or acceptance really of times of going slow, like relaxing and chilling out and, you know, just being really. And so there's that emphasis because sometimes like bring shame onto us when we're not in that doing mode. 
which is very frustrating because we actually do need to rest and relax and like the pace of life nowadays, even, even despite the fact that COVID, the pace is quieter in some respects. I feel like the media and other like platforms are louder. So escaping into something like a fantasy is, um, you know, sometimes it's a joyful rest and a joyful reprieve and um, not to be hard on ourselves, you know? It's like, oh, I, I really enjoyed that fantasy of George Clooney wanting me, right? <laughs> whoever you know and um and just getting off on that and letting ourselves have the pleasure of it instead of going oh I should have done all this and because when we're being hard on ourselves uh it's often like we're often it's not often you know uh we don't deserve it it's like we're allowed sometimes be unproductive and have breaks and idle yeah yeah you can see it with so much ease that I don't have. Maybe let's go back. <laughs> let's go back and maybe define longing. So the funny thing is, right, the home of having podcasts is all about belonging and finding finding that sweet spot. And longing is literally in the word. And it's something that I and many of my listeners are seeking because many of my listeners are expats. So that belonging part is really something you have to labor for. And it doesn't come naturally when you are a foreigner, when you are living somewhere else, when you're in a different culture. And in the essence, belonging is all about being wanted, being accepted, and also being needed and being able to contribute, right, to community. And then when we talk now about longing, and I told you that I have this frustration with it, it feels like the more I'm being in longing, the further I get away from belonging. Oh, yeah, this is so good. Okay, this is a really good topic. The shift to go from that spot of longing to belonging. So like there's two things that we need to work on. So firstly, if you want to shift out of longing, the way with anything that we want to change isn't by like punitive, like harshness on ourselves. It's actually bringing that practice into our awareness and loving it. And loving the you that loves to long and loving the experience of it. Like there's a way sometimes when we're having something like longing, like we have shame around it or we try and like only do it at certain times or, you know, you kind of are unconscious doing it sometimes. And when we do that, there's a way we're not really letting ourselves fully have it. And when we, like the practice I have, and I was, I was saying this to you before we had this like podcast, I was telling you about this practice um, called Existential Kink by the coach and author, Carolyn Elliott. And the practice is to take the thing, the like something like longing and fully feeling it in your body and in the essence, getting off in it by being totally present to the sensations that it brings up and doing this regularly as a practice until your body's bored. There's a way that there's, it's kind of so taboo or clandestine or we're, you know, so stingy about how we do it. We never actually fully complete the cycle. And when we do, there's like, oh, or we don't need to do it anymore because we went into it so much. There's 
like they, it doesn't have that same taboo erotic appeal. And so by doing that as a practice, then we, we get free of it. So that's, so that's one way of transforming our relationship with longing. And I, I'll tell you about like belonging, but before I do that, I'd love to know how did that land with you? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. See, I'm a lucid dreamer, right? I can wake up in my own dreams and then be fully aware of what's going on. And I have made a distinction that there's two kinds of lucid dreaming for me. And the one is when I feel frustration in my day life, in my waking life, there is something that I don't get to have, right? And then I go to bed and I can really visualize what I want to dream of. And as soon as I have my triggers, I wake up within my dream and then I become that puppet master of everything that is going on. And it, that feels very much like that longing, like that daydreaming fantasy that you, you literally have during the day, right? You are the puppet master and you get to feel that something that, you're, that, that I'm avoiding or that I'm not getting to have, but it's in a very low risk environment because I'm the creator of that scene and I'm orchestrating everything, right? So it's, sometimes it feels like as if I'm facing the fear, the thing that's scaring me during daytime, I'm facing that during nighttime. And then I feel so proud of myself, like, oh, I did it anyways. But I didn't, right? If I would have faced that situation, if I would have accepted my vulnerability and gone into that risk of exposing myself, um, because I'm not the puppet master of other people, the scene would have never ever gone down the way as I dreamt about it, right? So for me, that is the one side of lucid dreaming. And then there's the other kind of lucid dreaming. That is actually really hard for me to come by, but I sometimes have that with my work. So when I do designs for my, for my clients, I can wake myself in my dream because my, my brain is so occupied with that design and creating that space and that interior, right? Um, that I can wake myself and then I can be totally cool and relaxed like, oh, interesting. Ah, oh, I'm, I'm dreaming, but I'm awake. Okay, let's, let's see what my brain has in store for me just to explore like the craziness. And then that feels like being awake in my own dream, but letting my fantasy run wild and not be the puppet master. Just see where my own imagination takes me. And it's really amusing. And what you described felt like that second, this kind of lucid dreaming. And it's so funny. Why can I do that while I'm sleeping? But I cannot, I, I, yeah, you do that while you are awake, like enjoying, like you said, getting off. And I wish, honestly, when I heard you talk, I was like, I wish I could do that because it feels like that waking up within my dream and then just not having to be in control, right? Like letting go of everything and see where it takes me and just enjoy the ride. Um, yeah, so that's what came up for me. <laughs> I love this practice uh, that you have of lucid dreaming. It's, it's not really one I have myself or one I've really explored, um, but it sounds like it's just like really rich as an experience and like for growth. Um, yeah, and I wonder if you've ever tried like, so say when, I'll, I'll tell you, when I'm doing existential kink, right? I'll feel into something I'm longing. And I, I don't even need to visualize that much stuff. It's like I'm finding like a little key trigger 
that really triggers that feeling of longing in my body. And like some key image, something small, it doesn't have to be a whole scenario. And it's like that thing, like, oh, I really want that. And I really just focus on the sensations in my body when I feel into that image. And in getting off on it, I'm, I'm not doing any pussy stroking or anything like that. It's like, instead, I'm bringing this full approval to the experience of those sensations. So it's less about um, the scenario in my head. And it's really just locking onto one trigger, one visual, one idea, one concept, one trigger, and really being with the sensations that that brings up. Does that make sense? It does. No, it absolutely does. It's just, yeah. No, I will keep that in mind. And I will try to be aware it's just, as I said at the beginning, sometimes I realize I've been in longing when I'm out of longing. It's almost like flow state. You don't know that you're in it until you're out of it and until you realize. Um, it's interesting. Maybe longing is flow. It just crossed my mind, right? Because we all love flow. Flow is when you're really productive. Flow is when you have no tension inside your body. You are, there's nothing to regulate. No negative emotion, no positive emotion. You can just focus because your body is in absolute harmony. Interesting. I'm discovering things here. Ha. Huh. Yeah, I'm trying to feel into like flow is longing. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, does that ever happen to me? Does that how I experience it? I think flow for me is just like a little different in that it's like I get a creative idea and I'm writing so that doesn't I don't connect that with longing so much no I, no not in the sense that it's the same it's just you know like with flow you never realize you're in flow until you're out of flow until you realize holy crap it's five hours later that sun is going down or oh I'm actually hungry Oh, wait, it's already 6 p.m.? When did, how did ha that happen? So I have that same sensation when I'm in longing. Like when I'm out of it, I'm like, holy crap. What have I done the last two hours? But flow is definitely a brain thing. Like you said, you're creative and you're following those breadcrumbs your brain is giving you. Whilst longing, the way you described it, is like following the breadcrumbs that your body, the bodily sensations the body gives you yeah and um i'd also say flow can be in the body uh, as well so say in sex or in like a yoga practice or spinning or you're into jogging you can also i find just experience flow there where i'm so absorbed in those practices that i'm just very present um it's like a different kind of flow though and i really enjoy that so anything can be really bodily, I suppose, is, is what I'm pointing to. I'd love to tell you about belonging. Um, yeah, go I ahead. Think, so I was actually thinking about this before I hopped on. And um, I think sometimes, like, it depends on everyone's childhood and everyone's experiences. But I think a lot of us have been really brought up to focus on like on um, what we should have or what's next or in longing oh I want that relationship or oh I want that money or oh, I want that career that house that child you know that friend 
and we're all very much trained in like what's next um, as a culture and we're actually very we're not really often taught the skills of having you know really sinking in and appreciating what we have right now and having I think, and you can adjust me on this because you're the expert on belonging, having to me is actually quite similar energetically to belonging in that it's a contentment with where you are right now. It's a satisfaction of the experience you're having and um, circumstances surrounding you. Even when they're not ideal, it's like it's not about that. It's actually about, oh, can I really enjoy what I have right now? And I think like that is something that's very tricky because we're not trained to put our attention there. And so like that actually is a muscle we have to cultivate. Uh, it's not often modeled to us. So I don't know if that links into your understanding of belonging, but that that's what was coming to me in that when I was thinking about it in the shower. Yeah. Let me think about that. I definitely agree that I love the sentences he said. We're in complete contentment with what is going on right now. I think the hidden part about belonging is that for most people, belonging feels like it happens to happen. It's just there. It's like you never think about belonging until you feel that you don't belong. So what I notice, especially with the expat community, there is this, you move abroad and it's this adventure and it's exciting. And as soon as that excitement fades away of the, the novelty of having experienced that new culture, that new country, belonging is what you miss, right? And then it becomes this realization that belonging is actually work. And when we experience life as an emotional roller coaster, like you have these highs and these lows, and you know, it's frustrating and you get tired of the extremes of that roller coaster, then we have to realize that the roller coaster, if we take it as that image, that, that little wagon we're sitting on, like is going upwards because we're doing things. We might not be noticing consciously what we're doing, but we're definitely doing something that is improving our situation and then you get to the tipping point and then it's going downhill most of the times not because something happened from the outside world I mean COVID let's take that out sometimes tragedies happen things happen but just talking about the daily routines right then it's usually if the roller coaster feel like it's going downhill it's because we stopped doing something we stopped something that we didn't even notice. And then with a little bit of delay, we can feel the consequences. So just to give you an example, I've been training for a year to run a 20K. I just started with a friend, first for weight loss. And then for me, I needed another goal. So I am definitely a chaser and chasing things. So I was looking for like, I want to be able to run a 20K in a certain time frame. And as soon as I did that run, I was so proud of myself. I continued running for another two weeks or so. And then it happened to coincide with the, with the time change going into winter time that all of a sudden I had this moment of deflation, like a balloon that lost all the air. It's like, oof, okay, I lost my goal. I did the 20K. That was great. 
and it's not that I lost my interest, but I'm like, okay, I can find something else. And I, I told myself I'm giving myself space and time to find the next thing that I want to do. Is it continue to run? Or is it something else? Like, I don't know, start dancing, for example, as another routine, something else. And now, weeks in, I can feel how my body is craving the movement that I have given up. And it starts with, I'm getting soft, my back starts hurting, and my back starts hurting because I'm not working out. I need the muscles to keep me upright. And, and then it starts with this feeling of discontentment. And it can, with some, go into that blaming and shaming and guilt tripping yourself. But I'm feeling the way I'm feeling right now because I gave up running or I gave up the routine of running. So I agree with you with the belonging. It's like that contentment in where you are and what you have. But at the same time, I believe belonging is also a practice, is something that you do. And the more consciously you do it, um, no, I was going to say the more consciously you do it, the more fulfilling it is. But it's not true. Because if you make it about the chase, the next thing you have to chase, because you can chase belonging as well, then it's, then it's not fulfilling at all. So I'm taking that back. <laughs> but no, it's, um, I think that painful awareness, once you do not belong, then you realize you have to work for it. And once you have to work for it, then you have to make other decisions of who do I want to belong to? Where do I want to belong to? And I personally also think if kids have that experience too soon, when their confidence is not fully developed, then it can be really hard because the possibilities are endless. And then you're just overflown and overloaded with decision making. And that's hard. Decisions are hard. Wow. There's like, there's so much uh, really riches in what you said there. I'd love to come back on some of the, on some of the points. Firstly, I'm an expat and I moved initially to London from Dublin and then this year I moved to like a village in the UK where I don't know anyone. So I very much <laughs> experienced that, oh crap, I have to make all my friends and no one's going to do it for me experience. Uh, so I really, I really relate to that and like the, the practice and attention that requires. Um, so I actually, so the thing you said about the jogging, there's a few things I could say about this, right? Mm. So one is it could actually be, um, there's this concept known as like your havingness level. So there's only like, and I actually hit this ceiling all the time when it comes to exercise and sports. It's like, there's a limit in my head around how fit I think I as my identity can be. And when I hit that limit, which is like less than 20K, let me tell you, um, and in certain practices and yoga and other things I've done, uh, what I realized is I unconsciously, like, like you're saying, I sabotage myself where I stop going because I'll get, I'll roll over an ankle or I'll get really stressed or something will happen and I'll pull away. And, and like looking back at that pattern over the years, it's been really like, wow, my range of being able to see myself as someone who can be that fit actually just needs to grow and I need to lean in in those spots where it's uncomfortable. So it actually can be related to like how much of this goodness of me being fit can I actually let myself have without sabotaging it? So that's one way of looking at it. 
right? I'm going to give you three ways, and I'd be interested to see which one resonates with you the most. Um, something else I've found when it comes to creating practices or change in my life is I, especially when it came to fitness for years, I was really focused on goals and on weight and on like a certain regimen. And what I found was because it actually wasn't based in what I really enjoyed, I didn't really stick to it. And so even though I loved in a lot of ways spinning, my body didn't really enjoy it. And I like I've given it up. I'm actually in a village that doesn't have it. So it's good I gave it up. But there was a way that I was forcing myself to do it for those outward reasons. And my body just, you know, just didn't want to do it anymore. So sometimes um, when it's based in those outward metrics, whereas now I'm doing yoga a lot more and I'm like really enjoying that because it feels good and it really works my body in a really positive way. So I wonder if that, and then the third option, I think I said this to you before Nick last week or when we were on Clubhouse together, is it's like energetically we are animals and when it comes to this close to the solstice and when it comes to like the clocks going back all I want to do is sleep at the moment like we're pushing against like a heavy load where our bodies just want to do nothing you know there is also that so I don't know if any of those resonate with you but there were just some things that came to mind when you were sharing about that yeah I absolutely agree with the how did you call it? The heaviness level? Yeah, I have that with earning money, for sure. And I know about it, and I know I need to work on it, but I have not found I have not found the way of breaking through that, right? I'm very aware, and because I'm aware, I'm painfully aware because I'm I feel stuck. And I know that stuck is just in my head. And I, I need to find a different approach there. And I also absolutely agree with the time of year and the seasons, right? There is a reason why we have seasons and we are, we are not robots. We are in tune with, with our environment. It has such a huge influence on us on so many levels. The whole hibernating, I'm all for it. I agree with you there on, on that as well. And then with the thing with the enjoying, I think enjoying something in regards to change, that's all in your head. So I think we can literally enjoy anything. And if we tell ourselves that you said, oh, my body's not enjoying spinning, that's what your brain is telling you. Like your brain is telling you, wait, Kui, I'm totally with you on board. We should be spinning. But clearly your knees or you know your back or your palms or whatever like we are not made for spinning <laughs> right and then things happen like you twist your ankle and i've been doing that with other stuff but i'm absolutely convinced that we can enjoy anything and just like we're sometimes using emotional reasoning right because i'm not feeling like it i know it's going to be horrible is the excuse for not going running, for not going spinning, for not earning money, right? It can also be if we can find the angle of pleasure in it, like, ooh, what is that one thing that really turns me on that then gets you going? Because I've always been a runner. I love running. And I found when I'm running, I'm really in my body. I think that's the only, that's the only time I'm really 
really fully in my body and really enjoying all the bodily sensations, even the painful ones, even the the muscles that, that ache. Um, I find an angle of pleasure in that, finding real satisfaction in that. While spinning, like I, I love taking my bike in order to go faster from A to B, from my house into the city. Instead of walking half an hour, I'm there in five minutes with my bike. Love it. If my husband tells me, should we go for a bike ride? Never in my life. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Going on a bike ride for play? No, that doesn't happen, <laughs> right? Which is ridiculous because I'm on the bike all the time. I refuse to have a car. And that's why I'm like, I love to go by bike into town. But don't tell me to go the same 10 kilometers that I run on a weekend. To do by bike is for me absolute nightmare. But I think that is just, it's really just in my head. And my head is telling me, oh, Nicole, your knees hate biking. When everybody knows that running is a lot harder on your knees than biking is. But I swear to God, my knees hurt when I'm go biking. I, I love this. I love this where you're saying it's like it's in our heads where we can, essentially what you're saying is we can get off on anything that we do. And that's an intentional choice. And I love that as a practice as like being like, yes, how can I enjoy this pain? How can I enjoy this experience? I really love that. And um, I think it's such a really powerful choice to take. And I also think there's also space for us to do things that we actually truly have resonance with and enjoy. Because like, I could absolutely master judo or kickboxing or I don't know, rope stuff, uh, bouldering, all these different things. And I, like, I'm sure I could. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said sometimes in actually going in the path of least resistance. It's like, ah, oh, where, like, wh what does my body like truly enjoy? So yeah, I, I just wanted to add that. Listen, just piggybacking on what we were just talking about and then diving into your subject a little bit more. So usually <laughs> I have my guests introduce themselves and tell the listeners what they do. And I realized we jumped into the topic without doing that with you, but let me get there. And the thing is, when you said, you know, the path of least resistance or how to start something, you have a longing, you want something and then getting into action and getting there can be sometimes really hard. And another post of you, there's this phrase, it was really hard to give yourself permission to explore your sex and your wild side. And it was easier for you to have that permission to be wild and kinky because you found the right community of people that completely normalize that, right? And that is just when the personal resistance of doing something alone is so, so big that you never get it done, then it's definitely always better to have a partner or find those people that are already where you want to be and where it's absolutely normal to be running 20K per week or earning a million per year or exploring kink. So Quilan, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> what it is you're actually I doing? I brought kink into it. Um, so I'm a coach. I'm very focused on sexuality and the exploration of desire. And I work with men and women, mostly women, and I'm very much centered on connecting people 
with their own body, their own knowing, the intuitions and sensations of their body. And like background wise, I was trained in orgasmic meditation, which is a clitoral stroking practice. So like that's been very much my background and I still practice it and still teach that practice. Um, So everything I look at, even when I'm coaching someone on their career, their purpose, I see it through the lens of sex and orgasm. Uh, So it's a very distinct view compared to like standard, I'm saying this in quotes in my head, like standard life coaching, but I find it really powerful and my clients really enjoy it too. Yes. And well, I know some of my friends are listening to my podcast I have one particular friend in mind now. I know that she will be blushing. It's like, oh, God is exploring something that is to talk like that. And I've been avoiding this topic on, on this podcast for a while, partly because of my own, I guess, insecurity of like, am I the person to guide a conversation in that area? And then B, I kept telling myself that my listeners are too conservative to be talking about sex. But... It's all about change right now. (laughs) So let's change that. I love that aspect that you see everything through the lens of sex because I always see everything like values and whatever I work on with my clients and in tier, I always see everything through the lens of movement and body and experience. Like sometimes I can see, you know, when people are talking about one thing and then by their body language, it's like, oh, that's a speech you learned. And I can never point it out like that. Oh, that's a speech. I can see you're absolutely not comfortable. It's just something you rehearsed and learned to say. But then it's another art of approaching it from a different side. So we have that in common. So tell me more about this. If people want to work with you, like you said, they're not coming for sex or better practice, but sometimes they come for general life coaching. And then you still, you're very open about it on your channels. You're always making the connection to sex. And then how does that work? How, how are your clients reacting to that? They, well, so it's kind of like a filtration system. I write and talk about sex in such a way that only people who are ready to work with someone who does that um, can handle. So like that like that is really helpful. But so say when I work with a client, like the thing especially in a one-to-one experience, like the thing I'll always say is, we'll work on what's most alive for you right now. So say someone is like, oh, I'm having this experience with my boss or this experience with a housemate or whatever, like the experiences, uh, we work on that, on the thing that's most alive because that's what's ready to move. And that's what's opening up and shifting in their lives. And say when they talk about like the dynamic, I won't always bring it back to sex, but all of the key tenets of good sex is boundaries and knowing your yes and your no and communicating that and being connected with your body and knowing your desires and asking for your desires and taking responsibility for for your experience and for communicating Uh, with your partner like when you know you're not happy or you have changes they're all the same like practices that you have in sex that you have 
in say a relationship with a boss or a housemate or a lover and so say when people are like oh well, let's just talk about my sex but they're having all this trouble in their work by even working on like that issue say like an issue with a boss it actually really helps empower and change their sex because the same skills are really um like they transfer and um and when I'm working with people like I will share comparisons to sex or like um like metaphors when it's relevant and that varies some of my clients are really are really into that and then say others are kind of more reticent I calibrate it to what they can hear so it's like sometimes it's really overt and sometimes it's not it really really varies on the person right I like that you're the first person that sees it through this lens and I love it I absolutely love it because again I I think we have in many ways a lot in common I'm watching the body I'm watching how their body language changes and how sometimes their speech changes their breathing right and I think we have a lot in common in that regard and then the topic of belonging is and home and sex um I think it feels a lot safer to talk about home then about sex, right? It's easy to talk to somebody that you just met 20 minutes ago about home than it is about sex. But I also noticed that the conversation when we talk about home remains really, really shallow, right? It's about it's about the looks of things. It's about the, the size of the apartment, the colors on the wall, you know? I mean, who cares if that table is marble or, or wood, if it's teak or if it's cheap plywood? Like... Right, but it's really easy because it's really easy to stay superficial. And then when you ask more personal questions about home, they put their walls up and it can feel really fast, really inappropriate because home is a very intimate space. So I was wondering in regards to what you do and the topic of longing and the visibility of work. You mentioned the existential kink and the shadow work, so the work that has to happen behind the curtains. And then I cannot get away from that image or that association of longing is still a chase, right? For me, when I sat down before this talk and I thought like, what is longing? That sentence came to me like, longing is the chase we have given up on, but cannot let go. I don't know if I've given up on some um like I definitely experience longing uh in terms of growth in my business and I've not given up on that yeah it's just or maybe it's just you know that in in the sense of putting it on a back burner like not yet there like I'm not yet there to take the real action so I'm practicing in my head in my fantasy in in my body to to feel it first maybe that's a better description so what's your take on just that triangle between longing in regards to change and the visibility of what like you cannot change without having a visible element to it and sometimes it's public and sometimes it's private but how would you connect those three um so this one's tricky without an example like to go and say what I would do yeah but um thing I always do and you've probably experienced it in this podcast like with anyone is to bring approval 
like there are a lot of coaches out there in a lot of different styles and some are very like tough love very penetrative you need to blah 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 or you're lost in your mind and um I've experienced all of that style of coaching and um that's just it isn't how I do it because what I find like what I found changes me is when somebody tells me what you're doing right now has got huge like I bring so much love and approval because that is the it's like the secret ingredient to change and so whatever they're experiencing I'm like wow that's amazing I really love that and then it's like from that as the platform it's like taking the steps through like oh why do you think you have the longing like where does that come from like what and like doing some inquiry and just being curious and like from my training with orgasmic meditation and the whole background I have we're really like trained to like feel for what the next resonant question is so it's like really following like you do with the body language um following those breadcrumbs of really getting someone to self-inquire and why they're doing it that way. And like, or I'll ask questions of, oh, where does it come from? Where did you initially start that as a pattern? What's the payoff? So what are you getting from it? Things like, what is the cost? So it's like really, like they're very generic questions, but when I'm with someone, like I just really, it's kind of like being a detective or an artist or something where you're like trying to feel for that. It's like you're trying to feel for the lock that will open the change. It's like you're trying to find that perfect spot, like the leverage, the hinge, that that aha moment for the client. And it's, like for me, the way I like to do it is for like to create space for that to happen and not forcing it because like there's a way I could, you know, I can see patterns with people like I've done this for a while and I can go, OK, they're doing this because of this and that. And if I told them that, then they'll just move over. But there's not a huge value, I don't think, in telling someone something. I think there's way more value in asking the questions for them to discover it. And so that's very much the approach I take in getting people to understand why they're doing something. And then like part of that process gives them that aha moment for it to shift. Yeah, I I like that. And because you said there's an example missing, I actually realized while you were talking. So the way we met once more, like so many of my guests um, this season on this podcast is through Clubhouse. And I met you in that triangle with Anika and Raphael, and you guys were talking about orgasmic meditation. And that was the first time I heard about it. I was like, wait a second. And I, I remember not understanding and coming back to those rooms in order to put the puzzle pieces together because I, it felt like, here's a bit of info, here's a bit of info, but I didn't dare to say like, wait a second, you three, what are you talking about? And it actually plays really well into my question because orgasms are very private, very intimate, but doing that in a community is like, whoa, that is very public at the same time. Can you, before people just have their images running wild in their heads, can you just explain what is orgasmic meditation and how How do you find your people? This is such a really fun question. (laughs) 
Um, orgasmic meditation is a partnered clitoral stroking practice. So typically there's a, a strokey woman with a clitoris getting her clitoris stroked by uh, what we call a stroker. And it was mostly men, can be women. And the clitoris is stroked for 15 minutes with no goal. So you're not trying to make someone have an orgasm or make anything happen. The only goal is to feel. And when it comes to like finding partners and how that's arranged. So I learned the practice when I was single. And once I had done training, I was then admitted into groups where only people who'd been trained in the practice gather. And then I found partners with whom to practice. And I practice with people in my home. I travel to their home. So I did a lot of practice just in homes. But then as a community, we also have what we call circles. And a circle is where we gather and do the practice collectively according to the same time like we'll all start at the same time and finish at the same time and sometimes like oftentimes we'll swap and do the next practice with someone else and sometimes then next practice with someone else but you don't have to do it that way like I'm engaged now I have a partner and we mostly practice it together. And some people do practice it monogamously. We don't. But if you do, you can do that or find just one partner. So it's really, it's really based off your tolerance for something that is a radical practice. You know, I, I totally get why a lot of people would find it really scary. But I love it and get off on that. I really enjoy that part of it. But I, I can understand why for some of your listeners, it might be a bit shocking. Yeah, because I guess just the idea of clitoris stroking is just the continuous thought of, oh, that has to lead to, to sex, that has to lead to penetration, that has to lead to, but it, it doesn't, right? It can, but it doesn't. Well, I'd even say it shouldn't. So like, it's not okay. a foreplay practice. It's a discrete practice in and of itself. And the whole purpose of it it, well not the whole purpose there's so many purposes so I don't want to say it's the whole purpose because I'd be lying but one of the purposes of it is for it to reverse that script that sex or pleasure or relating in general needs to be transactional so as a woman who's getting her clit stroked I don't then have to like stroke some guy's cock or we then don't need to go and have sex like it's it's totally reversing that impulse like oh I have to give back and the practice is really focused on the woman receiving pleasure. And, you know, sometimes, like, I'm sure you've experienced this in being touched. It's not always pleasurable. Like, sometimes it's itchy. Sometimes it's tickly, you know. Mm -hmm. Or, like, you're maybe your clit is feeling a bit numb that day. So, actually, the whole goal is to train your attention and your ability to just be with what is and what's happening on your pussy in the moment instead of contorting or forcing a climax to happen, which is what a lot of us are trained to do. Right. I love that. It's really welcoming, as in no pressure. And I think the first impulse is to feel a lot of pressure around that, right? Just like you said, the, the whole transactional part. Yeah, but I can imagine just starting that still takes courage. And at the same time, 
Yeah, I just, I mean, I've been talking to you now several times. I've been talking to the others several times, so I'm, I'm more comfortable with this. But I think it is just the thought of that is really pushing the shame boundaries that we have. What would you say? Yeah. Oh, my God. Hugely. You know, I grew up in Catholic Ireland in the 90s. And even though me, the reign of the Catholic Church wasn't as powerful, you know, we had generations where shame was just poured over female sexuality, like crazy. And part of my practice of orgasmic meditation and self-pleasure and sex is actually confronting the feeling of shame that arises in my body. There is a way that the cultural association of female sexuality with shame has seeped into my body. It's a very real entity that is slowly shifting over time. So it's huge. And I've done a lot of work on it and I still experience it. Um, so I, I totally understand when women and men, you know, it gets us all in various ways. Um, a lot of us, I'm sure people, it hasn't, but I totally get why that would be a barrier for so many people. I really understand that. And, um, and maybe like this practice, if they're not ready, like you shouldn't do it. Like it is a very confronting practice. It's really one I recommend for when you're ready. Like for me, I read about it in April. I read about it in this book called Pussy by Mama Gina. And I read about it in April and I signed up to do like the program to learn how to do it in July. It took me months to a city with it. <clears throat> but then by the time I came around to that, I then learned how to do the practice. And on the day they were like, we're teaching a coaching program to teach people how to teach it. And I was just a full body. Yes, I was so ready. And I just wanted to know everything about this practice because I knew it was for me. And I was hooked and totally into it. And I totally get why for other people it would take more time to open and um, to be ready for something like that. It's like everyone's different and you have to listen to your own body and go, am I ready to try something this radical? Mm. So we, when you think back about your own journey, has your longing changed? And if so, how? Um. It's funny, a lot of what I longed for, I currently have, you know, and uh, I really wanted to be creative. I really wanted to write. I really wanted a really hot, caring partner who was into like OM and other practices, orgasmic meditation. And I really wanted to live in the country. I really wanted to have my own business and all these things I have, which is crazy, right? You know, how fun. But I still have those thought patterns, those thought patterns of, oh, well, I would be happy when I've reached this amount of growth or blah, blah, blah. And um, in just like the past few days, I've been in my practices to go, okay, hold on a second. How do you just really stop and really appreciate what you have right now? So, um, so I'm practicing that a lot more. And just again, practicing like I was saying earlier, just getting in touch with my longing and bringing approval to it and getting off in it in the moment and going, oh, that's hot. Oh, look at me longing for that, you know? So whereas before I was totally unconscious to all these things, before I did any of this kind of work, all this stuff was just running my life 
as like you know like a software if we're to think about the brain as software like these programs were always running I didn't even know whereas now I have a lot more sense of them and mastery over catching myself and really reframing things which I never would have had before I love that you know one of my favorite things that I like to say is like even the word turns me on sophistication right and sophistication is the art of recognizing making and enjoying finer distinctions and what you just described your journey just just sounded exactly like that like sophistication of being unaware and uncomfortable and just knowing that there's something that you lack to exploring and feeling the painful moment as in the, the discomfort to just really really appreciating and a being able to make that distinction realizing and then b really just as you said getting off on that and it just sounds like ah, kui is a very sophisticated person i love that it's so funny you say sophisticated because so much of my brand last year i ran a program called messy and <laughs> A lot of what I, I do is about bringing approval to like the messier sides of our nature. But you're right. There is actually a lot of sophistication in terms of like the practices I have and the growing, you know, very much growing awareness. So, yeah, thank you for really recognizing that. It's a really lovely thing to receive. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kui. I mean, we're, you know, we're past the hour. I just wanted to ask you. Usually, I, no, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you. Because usually I ask a question about change and whatever topic we're talking. So longing and hindsight. But I think that just sums it up, what you just said. That in hindsight, all the mess became sophistication for you. So I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to make this statement. It sounds like that. All the messiness results in a lot of sophistication. And it is beautiful. But I want to ask you if people are more interested in what you have to say and how you work and what you do, where can they find you and how can they get in contact with you? What's your preferred method of getting to know people? Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, once you master this value of my name, uh, copying it from the show notes, um, you, the best way to contact me is actually on Instagram. So it's like my favorite platform. People can reach out to me. You can book a call. And then in terms of like preferred ways of working. So I either do one-to-one -one work with people um, or at the moment I'm doing a membership for women that's called Ban Bona, which is Irish language, which means bold woman. So it's a membership really in service to women who want to carve their own path through life. And doing it in a way that's connected with their erotic power and their bodies. So that's actually just opened and it's just really beautiful. So for um, any women who want that kind of support, that's like the best program I'm doing at the moment. But otherwise, I love working with people one to one. I really, really, really enjoy that. So that's definitely an option that's open too. Brilliant. Thank you. Is there anything that I forgot? got to ask or anything that came to you during this conversation that you think that should be said 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think so. I think I think I've had a good run here. I think I've I've got to share all the things that I wanted to share in this topic. And yeah, I think it's like for anyone listening at home, it's like if you're struggling with longing or desire or any of those things, it's like, can you bring approval? Can you love where you are right now? That's always a really good springboard for change that I use and that I use with my clients. That's really helpful. Yeah, thank you. Well, at the end of my episodes, I'm always listening back first to the conversation and then I do a sum up of what my lesson of that hour was. <laughs> and usually by the time the conversation is done, I already have quite a good idea. But I have to say with you, I don't. I have taken notes because we were circling back a lot and I like that. Um, so I had to take notes in order to not forget But it also leads me now to say, like, as soon as we get off this call, I have to do some more journaling about this. And then I have to listen back and read back in order to really know what I've taken out of this conversation. Because right now, it just feels like firework in my brain of too many tabs open. But thank you for that, because that is very inspiring. Wow. I love that. Yeah, let it digest, let it sink into your body. And um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what it is. And let me know how it lands. I will. Thank you, Quillen. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. This is it, my friend. I invited Kui to come onto my podcast because she has such a different perception of longing than I do. And I found that fascinating. Coming out of longing always makes me feel frustrated because it shows me what I want and it makes me feel for a very short while like this is great, I'm great, but it does not get me closer to actually getting what I long for. Well, I should say it made me feel past tense. Because I like Kui's approach to longing so much more than mine. And I will work on adapting this for myself. So what I got from our conversation is, enjoy the moment and dive into the sensation longing offers you. The thinking brain and my impatience make me focus on the gap between what is and what could be. The feeling into the moment and feeling into the sensation of Kui's approach makes you focus on the gain, what each situation gives you. Longing gives you a sensory taste of the future, but simultaneously a sensory and emotional awareness of what is right now, where the present is lacking, but also and foremost, where are you getting off? unconsciously enjoying the now and thus that's why you're holding on to it well it can give you all of that if you let it Brini brown writes about longing in her book atlas of the heart that longing is one part of the complex feeling of grief she writes longing is not conscious wanting it's an involuntary yearning for wholeness for understanding, for meaning, for the opportunity to regain or even simply touch what we've lost. Longing is vital and important part of grief. Yet many of us feel we need to keep our longings to ourselves for fear that we will be misunderstood, perceived as engaging in magical or unrealistic thinking, 
or lacking in fortitude and resilience. Yeah, resonates, right? So the other two parts of grief, according to Brene Brown, are a loss and feeling lost. And what life has taught me is that loss does not mean it always has to be that you used to have something and now you don't. Loss can also be lack, as in missing something you never had in the first place, but you know you want, you know that is out there, and you know you could have. Because you see others have it, or just simply because you can imagine having it. And just like Dumbledore said to Harry Potter's question whether this is real or just in his head, of course it is all happening inside your head, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. So yeah, I believe longing is real. It's intangible, but it is real. So here is what comes into my mind now when I think about longing. What if longing is, yes, one part of grief, but also the path we need to follow away from loss and lack into having? It's the breadcrumbs we need to pick up and feed our creation process. Longing makes us try it on in our mind and we can use it to lead us to what we want to design in the future. And yeah, <laughs> I use design here. I guess that's why this version speaks to me. It resembles design. Because design is a thought-through plan to creation that has a structure but leaves room for flexibility on the how, by which means to get there. It's a pathway from only in your head to actually their intangible reality. We can use longing as our motivation and guiding thread through the design, or if you like to call it, creation process. Now, friend, if this spoke to you, if you like the idea of following your longing, I strongly urge you to discover Quillen and consider getting her to be your coach. I get that. The idea of hiring someone who calls herself a pussy alchemist can drive you to blush. And imagine people's eyes widening when you tell them about it. But hey, who says you have to tell anybody? You can keep Kui your little secret until you're ready to share. Or until people ask you, wow, I see a difference in you. How did you get there? Just hop on over to her Instagram profile and follow her. As in general, the people I interview on the Home Worth Having podcast are meant to be resources for you. There is nothing worse than feeling lost and not even knowing where to get help. The Home Worth Having podcast guests are people that do great work but are not the big, big names in the industry. But that doesn't make them less quality or qualified. They are just experts that live a quieter life and thus remain approachable to you. And my friend, if you like the idea of following the breadcrumbs longing leaves you, but you keep thinking, oh, Nick, with everything going on these last years, I don't even know what I long for. It's been a while since I felt longing or felt desire. All I know these days is lack and loss. 
I wouldn't even know where to or how to start exploring my longing. Well, in this case, maybe the love the shit out of your home bootcamp that I'm hosting this February is for you. It's all about creating space for you. Literally create space. A simplified mindful space in one month's time. For the last almost two years, we've been all living on the inhale, taking on more and more, holding our breath and waiting for the next shoe to drop over and over again. So my friend, it's time to exhale. It's time to let go, set a limit, build a boundary of what you want to let into your home. The love the shit out of your home bootcamp is about taking one room, drastic declutter, and rebuilding it for calmness so that you can actually start hearing, start seeing, and start feeling what you long for. The goal is not to create a perfect social media-worthy space, but to dedicate time to trying, following a process you wouldn't do on your own, and see and feel what comes up. Yes, it's about, you know, taking radical responsibility to create your own space, but also your own calmness, your own winding down. I can't promise you an emotional epiphany, but I can promise you drastically different, calmer space that will look so much better. The idea is to gain mental and emotional clarity whilst creating physical, visible change that will have an impact on how you see your home and by extension, what is possible for yourself. So, are you interested? Well, we'll start in three days. So you should really consider joining. The link is beneath this episode. But for now, and until very soon, which means next week, I remain your designer friend. Au revoir, c'est Nicole.